0: Tom will be teaching us this morning from this psalm, and we'll be looking at verses 23 through 28. If you're using one of the Bibles from the chair, you'll find that is on page 502. Again, Psalm 102, verses 23 through 28. He has broken my strength in mid course. He has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning just thanking you for the gift of your word. Thank you that in it we find not only your plan, but we get to know you. We get to learn about your character. And we thank you, Father, especially this morning, for sustaining this church family for 35 years. We thank you for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, but truthfully, Father, your steadfast love and faithfulness has not existed for just 35 years. It has existed for all eternity. And thank you that your favor has rested on us these 35 years. And Father, we thank you for everything that you have done that we have seen, and we thank you for all the ways that you have worked that we aren't even aware of. We thank you for the lives that you have changed through the power of your gospel. And we thank you, Father, that you are indeed worthy to receive all power and praise and glory and honor. May it be yours. Bless Tom as he teaches us this morning and use it to increase our love for you and our awareness of your character. Help us to love you more when we leave here than when we entered. For your glory, amen.
1: Well, good morning. good morning. Around the time that we started the church, I was desperately afraid that someone was going to ask me to do a funeral. And a friend of mine who had been a chaplain in a hospital gave me a simple three-point outline that uh, goes like this. Life is short. Death is certain. Christ is sure. Sure. And it's really great. It's so versatile. You can adapt it to almost any situation that you're dealing with. And and I have to tell you, during the first couple of years of the church's life, that uh, was a lifesaver for me when I first started doing funerals. How many of you have ever heard me use that outline? Okay, well, a few of you, but not many. I'd like you to know, once I got my feet in ministry... I basically only fall back on that if I'm doing a funeral of someone I'm asked to do it for that I've never known myself, but when I write funerals for uh, church members, I always write one that's fresh for people I know and I love. Nevertheless, I have to tell you, that outline was a real help to me, and this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to take that outline and adapt it to uh, our present need as we consider the fact that starting today and ending on the second Sunday of uh, 2020, we're going to be undertaking a transition from one pastor pastor to another, from my leadership to the leadership of Paul Cronenwet. And uh, in order to help us do that, I'd like to take that simple outline and modify it just a little. And this morning I have three points. Life is short, change is certain, Christ is sure. Now the psalm from which uh, Mary Kay just read a few moments ago is a very interesting psalm when you study its content because it seems like the content of the psalm goes in two different directions and you don't understand what the relationship is between the two of them. First, the psalmist laments his personal situation and then he immediately turns and he rejoices in the eternality of God and in the security and the certainty of the people of God. And then he seems to go back and do it a second time in the verses at the end of the passage that were just read for us. He laments his life. He rejoices in God's ultimate triumph. Now, those two themes seem kind of disjointed, but what the psalmist is doing is he's interweaving his own future with that of the people of God. He's he's interweaving his own destiny, which seems uncertain, at least on a horizontal plane, with the certainty and the security of the people of God. Now, the setting of this psalm uh, seems to be the Babylonian captivity. If you don't know what that is, it's uh, what happens at the end of the New Testament. In fact, it's the second to the last event, great event in the Old Testament. It's not the final word, but it's almost the final word, and it's what happened When after a thousand years of living in the land of Palestine, in the promised land, the city of Jerusalem being their central city with the temple there where the people worshipped God, after all of that, God cast them out of the land. He allowed the Babylonians to overcome them and to disperse the people of the land into foreign countries. That's what the Babylonians did in order to try to erase a people group's identity Religion, all of that, they'd move them into foreign countries. And most of the people were sent to the city of Babylon in what is now uh, the country of Iraq. This happened because of Israel's rebellion that continuously, over almost a thousand years of history, they would turn away from God and they'd worship false gods. And God said this was going to happen. And eventually it did. It was an astounding event. In the Old Testament, the people didn't know how to grapple with the fact that now they no longer had the land that had been promised to their ancestors, that they had possessed for so many years. And this psalm seems to have been written by someone who was exiled to Babylon. And he's looking back longingly on the holy city Jerusalem, which he calls by its poetic name Zion, the city of God. He longs to be back there. He describes his personal agony, which is both psychological and even physical, that he's experiencing in his despondency and his grief and his sorrow. So take with me just a brief glance through the psalm, if you would. In the first 11 verses, he laments the situation that he's in. Mostly he describes his agony. He mentions in one verse that his enemies deride him, verse 8. But he doesn't really tell us anything about these enemies. He even notes, while very briefly noting his enemies deride him, that his real, his real opposition is God. Verse 9, For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and you have thrown me down. And we have to remember this is a man who, along with all of God's people at that time, is under severe discipline of God for their rebellion, he's a man repenting. And in fact, the repentance that began during the exile continued for 400 years and was only made complete when John the Baptist began to preach repentance to the people. Mostly he complains in that passage that his days are short. So he says at the end of verse 11, my days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. I am short, but next word, you, O oh Lord, are throned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. And he kind of turns at this point. He begins to talk to God about the fact that God exists forever, unlike his short, temporary time. And that in God, Zion, the city of God, which represents the people of God, that place where they had gone to worship him, Zion is secure. It has a certain destiny of brilliance and power. Jerusalem stands for the people of God, living under God's promises. Ultimate victory belongs to them, he says. And having talked about that, he says in verse 18, let this be recorded for a generation to come. He's looking towards the future. So that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he has looked down from his holy height. From heaven, the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord, let me just underline the word peoples there is the same word for Gentiles. The nations, he's looking forward to a future that's not just the restoration of the people of Jerusalem, but the restoration of the God's rule over the earth. When foreign nations stream to God and become a part of his people and worship with his people, he's looking to the distant future. And what he's saying is, whatever happens to me, even if I die in Babylon, if I never see Jerusalem again, if I don't see the fulfillment of God's promises, Still, his promises are secure. His people are secure. They will be vindicated and blessed, and God will reign. You see, during the exile, it appears that many people understood that the exile would last 70 years. There's a reason for the 70 that's very important in the whole structure of the Old Testament. We won't go into that now, but let me just note that Jeremiah had predicted a 70-year exile and then a restoration, and it's most likely that this person is during the exile, maybe towards the beginning. We don't know his age, but he does not anticipate living 70 more years or however long he has until the restoration occurs. And then he appears to reiterate the cycle, beginning in verse 23. My life is wretched, but God lasts forever, and his people are secure. Now, what does that tell us? Well, what it tells us is that Life is short, change is certain, and Christ is sure. First, life is short. As a child, life seems so long, doesn't it? You can probably remember when you were five and you couldn't wait until you were six. When you were 10, you couldn't wait until you were 15. And at some point, that reverses. And when you're 50, you wish you were 20, right? When you were 60, you'd settle for 30, The psalmist looks at his own situation and he finds it unsatisfying. Psalm 137, later in the Psalter, is a psalm about the exile. And the psalmist at that point notes that the Babylonians mocked the Jews during their time of exile because they would sing songs about their homeland, songs of Zion they were called. The Babylonians would say, sing us one of the songs of Zion. But the psalmist says, how can I sing those songs when I'm in a foreign land? And the psalmist is trying to come to grips with the fact that his life is short and he's probably not going to experience, having experienced the exile, he's probably not going to experience the restoration. Life, even a long life, is short. That's why he says, my days are like an evening shadow. You can note in the psalm, if you want to read it carefully later, there's these number of places where he juxtaposes or he puts opposite one another, my days And God's years, the shortness and the length is being compared there. My life is short. Even a long life is short. God's years have no end. In the end, he seems to lament in his grief that in the exile, he may not even live a uh, a normal full life. Uh, He says, verse 23, "'He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days.'" Oh my God! I say, take not me away, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure through all generations. He, he may be anticipating because of the way he describes his grief and his physical agony and his grief in the first eleven verses. He's not even going to live out a full life during the exile. And most likely, he's going to die there in Babylon, far away from the holy city. Life is short. And second, change is certain. When you compare our short lives with God's eternity, which he does twice in the psalm, uh, one thing is certain to us, and that is the change is uh, certain. It, that's the nature of life. We constantly experience change. Time itself is simply the measure of change. If nothing ever changed, there would no, be no need to mark time. Just think, um, when you're... Just when you think you've figured out this whole college thing, you graduate and move into an uncertain future. And just when you think you've figured out the whole parenting thing, they grow up and move away, and then they get to start over without having any understanding of it and try to figure it out. And I've noticed also they're not too keen on getting your insights into (laughs) parenting. And, you know, just when I feel like I've figured out how to preach, it's time to retire and let someone else do it. I mean, for us, things are constantly changing. And what we do is we cling to whatever little amount of certainty we have. We try to make certainty and lack of change last as long as we can. And um, we find that change is inevitable. Eventually, children grow up. Eventually, parents die. Eventually, we find ourselves aging and things changing. And even if we don't move, our house changes and we have to update it periodically. Our work changes. The whole world changes. And as we move through life, we constantly have to adapt ourselves to the change that comes our way, whether we want it or not, not that we have to deal with. And the truth is, even churches change. We have to adapt ourselves to that as well. And that's where we're at now. I I have... uh, I really, in personal level, have struggled with retiring and and all the change that's going to bring to me. But I can tell you there's one thing I've never struggled with in, in that context. I've, I've never struggled with the decision to retire because I am very confident that that's what God has indicated to me it's time to do. It's time for me to step down from the position that I've had for 35 years and to... Uh, move into other avenues of life, and to let someone who's younger take over. It's what the church needs. It's what I need. I'm not planning to sit in a rocking chair for the rest of my life, although my wife thinks I'm planning to sit in a lazy boy for the rest of my life, but um, you know, I hope to stay active in teaching and mentoring and travel and study, but the role that I have had for a long time needs to be transferred to someone else, and My whole purpose in this church, I have a lot of responsibilities, but my primary aim in this church in the last 18 months of my ministry is to help us make as healthy a transition as we can to a new person uh, before I retire. And, And in all of that, and all the changes that's going to bring to us, what this psalm reminds us is, Christ is sure. Christ is sure. That's really the message of the psalm he keeps putting next to one another the uncertainty of life for the psalmist with the certainty of the future for the people of God. And the psalmist, while he's looking as the Old Covenant does and the Old Testament does, he's looking at kind of a horizontal level. He's looking of life in this world primarily And when we use the psalms under the new covenant, we see that life is much bigger than that. But even then, the psalmist is evidently interweaving his personal uncertainty with the certainty of the people of God. He's grasping onto that. And that's the message of the psalm, verse 25. That's why he ends this way. Of old, he says to God, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain they will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And you see, our real security in life is not found in avoiding change. Our real security in life is found in trusting the unchanging God. In, in fact, we can only walk through times of change and uncertainty and insecurity if we trust in the unchanging God and his purposes. You know, when we started the church, we used in 1984 what for that time was very contemporary music. We still sang hymns out of hymnals, and we had had a piano player. But often, very often, we would have special music We don't really do that much anymore, and I'm grateful myself, but we used to have a lot of special music, and it was really helpful. We would do it to recorded tracks because we didn't have many musicians, but we would have young people, often young women, up on the platform holding a microphone and singing a song, and that wasn't common in churches at that time. In fact, I remember way back then one of the older people, we didn't have many older people, but I heard an older person call it nightclub music. That's what they do in that church. Another one said this. Another one said this. I wish we could pin her hips to the wall so she would stop swaying. Now, there was an older man who helped me start the church, Harold Head, who's really the father of this church. Uh, He died in the year 2000. Um, Harold was from a very, very conservative background. And I remember one day asking him um, what he thought about the music. And here's what he said to me. We're not doing this for me. You know, I wouldn't even defend everything we did at that time. I'm not sure all of it was right. We grew up and we read the Bible more and we changed some things. We did a lot of good things, but I'm, I'm not sure everything was right. But I'm sure of one thing, what he said was right. What he said was the right spirit. We're not doing this for me. Church is not about making ourselves comfortable, as comfortable as possible. Church is not about being comfortable with the pastor and the music and the furniture and the format. Although I know Paul won't change one of those things. (laughs) Church is about faithfully passing the baton on to the next generation, and that's what this psalm is about. That's why he ends the psalm with these words. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. He's saying, regardless of what I experience here in Babylon, regardless of the exile and all of the uncertainty, the unfailing purposes of God tell me that he will reign again over his people, that the Gentiles will stream to him and worship him. Now today... We formally launch the transition from my pastoral leadership to Paul's. In, In a few minutes, he's going to come, and he'll share what that's going to look like. But I just want to remind you, as we enter into this year, three things. Life is short, change is certain, and Christ is sure. Let's pray. Again, our gracious Father, we come and we thank you for your love and your protection and your care. And the fact that you have used us in so many ways in the lives of people, we long to see a future in which that happens more and more, but we do ultimately mingle our own destinies, our own future with that of the people of God, which the book of Revelation tells us in no uncertain terms will be triumphant. That you will reign You will put under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ every enemy who opposes him, and the church will reign triumphant with you forever. We long for that day. We probably won't see it, but we know that the people of God will see it, and we know by faith that we will be gathered with them. We thank you for this in Jesus' name.